Good morning, everyone. It's Judith Hope. You're listening to Mad Love. Welcome to your Thursday. It is June 11th. Um, man, time is really flying. It feels like it was just June 1st. And now we're already into probably mid-June. So things are moving quickly. Um, as you all know, I have chronicled what a year. I mean, this has been one for the record books. I mean, it's really crazy. Like, there's just a lot going on. And it's okay if you're not okay. I get it that you, you may be out protesting, you may be frustrated, you may be a, just a Twitter warrior. Whatever it is, please make sure you take time to decompress. Because um, I look at some of my friends' posts all day and it's like, dude, you've got to be exhausted. There's no way you can stay this angry, this fired up, this frustrated all day, every day, and not be tired. I mean, it it, it, uh, mentally and emotionally wears you down. Like, you just can't be that animated and fired up uh, without a break. Everybody needs a break. So make sure you take one. Life is still going on. Uh, So by that, I'm saying people's relatives are still getting sick and dying. And it's not related to COVID-19. It's just part of life. Um, A friend of mine, her mother-in-law suddenly passed. That's sad. But like, don't forget to, you know, do some self-care as well. You know, holding it together for everyone through COVID-19, now through all the civil unrest. And then, you know. I also have a friend who's battling cancer. Um, I mean, it's just a lot going on. It's a a regular adult life is busy anyway. And then you add all this other stuff on top of it. I mean, it can be crushing. So protect yourself. uh, Stay engaged. And don't forget to uh, check in with yourself and see if you need a break. You know, it's good to be strong for everybody else, but it's also... Uh, a non-starter if you are burnt out and just done for if you get sick then it all falls apart so don't do that you know um having said that I had a thought and it just went right out of my head anyway there's a lot going on in my life as well lots of change but mostly for the positive I will say this I did want to touch on this point so I don't know if I podcasted about it, but I definitely put it up on my social media that Hollywood is going to try to get, you know, they all did Blackout Tuesday and that was fine. I have no problem with that. People had beef with with that. But, you know, this is the most solidarity I've seen in my lifetime. Uh, so it was nice. But here's the problem. After that, I said, watch, we're going to see a whole bunch of. Hollywood uh, writing um, fellowships or something for minorities and women. And, you know, I'll be honest with you. I don't want that. You know, I don't need your fellowship. I don't need your six week program or, you know, pack up and move. I'm not 25. I'm not doing that. You know, I have a family. I have responsibilities. People depend on me. I cannot pick up and go live in L.A. uh, on you know, $1,200 a month or something crazy like I did when I was 20. I'm not doing it. And besides, it doesn't change anything. Stop with these little fellowships and these little programs. And 
I don't I don't want that. I don't need that. There is a lot of talent out here already who you're not offering viable business partnerships to. I want a a, a partnership. So you can keep your little fellowship. I don't want it. I want someone to look at my company and say, hey, we're going to fund your content. Basically, I need capital. I don't need uh, somebody to hold my hand. I don't need somebody to coach me up. I'm ready to get into business and build something viable. And that's where Hollywood gets let off the hook all the time. We started a program. Six or seven people you may or may not ever hear from again have entered our program. And and they won the program and now they work as a staff writer. That that's not gonna make me wealthy. And it's not giving me ownership. I want ownership. I want to be at the table for real. You know, I've seen the deals. I interned and I paid attention to everything I read. And I don't know if they hand these kind of deals out now, but it was it was not uncommon in the 90s to get a first look deal you know if you had one hit movie or if you had a little heat on you 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 instantaneously got two hundred fifty thousand dollars just for someone to say we get first dibs on whatever you want to do so alec baldwin you want to make a movie uh we'll give you two hundred fifty thousand dollars for the next three years just just so you'll bring your script to us first or however many years, but it was not uncommon to see these crazy uh, first look deals. And, you know, then this person could come back with a script because everybody has a script and they can hire their best friend to rewrite it. And uh, they could get a company uh, on the lot, you know, and all this shit is underwritten by the studio, you know, and I'm not saying they still do those, but the number of black people who had it like that versus non-black people or white people at that time, <laughs> male actors, basically white male actors, it was just, it they were dwarfed, you know? We didn't even get any adequate representation on the business side. Like, I, um, I interned at Warner's many summers ago. I think it was 1990. And uh, I was 20 years old, and I mean, I just thought this is the greatest thing in the world. Time Warner had just become a company that just merged, and they started a HBCU um, internship program at Howard. And I was the first person, one of the first people to go. It was three of us, and um, they stuck me over in like I don't know international TV distribution or something. And I was like, this is dope. And I called the lady who interviewed me and set me up. And I said, this is dope and everything. But I'm a film major. I'm not really learning anything over here. And so she arranged. um, Well, technically, that wasn't true because they had me make copies of scripts for other countries to read to see if they could, you know, um, if they could broadcast Designing Women and Murphy Brown and... um, Butch Cassie and the Sundance Kid like so if they had projects that they wanted to read the script I would make a copy of the script and send it to them so I was sending copies of like you know designing women to Bahrain um making copies of the script uh you know for Butch Cassie and the Sundance Kid and anything in the Warner Library in the catalog uh and they had a room full of scripts and I, I that was a big chunk of what I did that summer 
But the caveat is I'm a screenwriter. So uh, and nobody said anything. But I went to work with this giant black duffel bag. Um, It wasn't a purse. I don't nobody said anything. So it was like, oh, copy a script for Bahrain, copy a script for Judy, copy a script to, uh, you know, um, Czechoslovakia, copy a script for Judy. Um, and that's how I, I came home with like every day I had a script in my bag and, uh, you know, I, I didn't have much in my apartment and I had a stack of screenplays and I taught myself how to write, um, reading those screenplays every day. Um, the business aspect was harder to learn, but I definitely, uh, Shane Black, the, the Lethal Weapon series had was really hot at the time um so I took a lot of my style uh physical style of writing from Shane Black and uh I was deeply deeply uh impressed by um the writing from Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid which ah his name escapes me but I want to say it was James Goldman something like that and it, the way he wrote was so specific and uh those two screenplays uh those two screenwriters really changed the way or helped form the way I would see my own scripts and the way I wanted to construct stories the way I physically wrote the words capitalizing things like that wasn't normal and so they would capitalize things that made them uh they that they wanted the reader to be moved by so I did that and I copied all that and I got that from copying screenplays uh, that summer. Then I did complain. I was like, dude, I need to, I'm a film major. I'd really like to see some, you know, the lot. So I got on the lot for two weeks. And in that two weeks, I saw no black executives. There were female executives, but one of them was Jim Henson's daughter. Um, and that summer, I think her father suddenly passed. So I think rumor had it that they were going to try to groom her to be president. But then when her dad died, Man, this was crazy. I remember I was uh, on her desk. Uh, that's how they said it. Go on her desk. But you're not on the desk, literally. You're just sitting there answering phones. I disconnected so many people. I, did, I just was not. I'm not a good secretary. Never have been. No disrespect to anyone. I'm not putting the work down. I just can't do it. So mad respect to people who can. I just wasn't good at it. And, uh, but I do remember everybody was like, don't look at the faxes. Yes, faxes. Don't look at the faxes. So, uh, she was getting all these faxes regarding her father's estate. And I can tell you, I've never seen so many zeros in my life because of course I'd pull the fax off the machine and read the facts. Shit. You know, uh, don't look at it. Okay. And then I just read everything I could get my hands on. Cause no one would talk to me. That was the other weird thing. Uh, to finish that up though she her inheritance whatever they were working out because he died without a will it was just huge numbers huge numbers and so she of course went on to run her father's uh company uh in his absence but um she was one of the few executives I was working for um Lucy Fisher and uh 
Jack Valenti's daughter was there, and God, she looked just like him, Courtney Valenti. There were a lot of names that you would recognize because their parents were somebody in the industry, I think. I felt like that's what was happening, but I can't remember anybody else specific. Well, Lisa Henson, Courtney Valenti, that kind of thing. Um, but yeah, it was crazy, and there were there were women, but the men, it was, you know, Bill Gerber... You can look these names up. They've gone on to produce a lot of big films. Bill Gerber, Lorenzo de Bonaventura, um, uh, Tom LaSalle. Uh, I was on their desks as well. So in this two-week period, I was moving around uh, just answering the phones. And, like, nobody will talk to you. You know, it's not... These these VPs, they were just real standoffish, Um and then somebody said, well, they're not going to talk to you because they think you're there for their job. And I was like, you've got to be kidding. There are no black people in here. It's just me. And I'm clearly young with no money and no um, uh, contacts. I'm up here. Uh, I was wearing jeans and T-shirts every day. I mean, they were cute, but that wasn't I did not even look like I was trying to and I didn't I didn't want to be an executive I'm an executive now by necessity but I wanted to be talent purely I just wanted to write and like you could it was like working in a freezer locker like nobody would talk to you you could hardly get any I just hated working on the lot I loved being there it was fun to walk around the sets it was fun to see Clint Eastwood's production office it was fun to you know, see even Chevy Chase. I don't think he was acting. That dude's really clumsy. I watched him walk across the lot and I was like, wow, he, he really is not sure on his feet. Um, you know, I, it was just, that part was fun, but like nobody would give you a shot. Nobody would really talk to you. It was really challenging. And at that age, I just got frustrated and I was like, dude, there's nothing about this industry I really like. And so we fast forward. I think the only person of color I saw on the lot and in doing business was Benny Medina. And that Fresh Prince was about to take off. So it's like, other than him, I don't remember seeing a person of color. I remember hearing Bill Gerber share how upset he was that um, Prince's new movie wasn't that good. I think I want to say it was Graffiti Bridge. And I have to say, I I can't blame him. That is not a good movie. I'm not sure what Prince was thinking. They all wanted Purple Rain, too. Um, But, yeah, it was just deep. I mean, and so I'm saying all that to say, I remember my feelings about being on that lot uh, 20 years ago, more than 20 years ago. And, you know, it it was upsetting because, you know, it just didn't feel like a creative space and it didn't feel welcoming to me. I think the black directors and producers at the time, I didn't see them on the lot, but people were talking about the new Jack city dude. Um, gosh, I can't think of that screenwriter. Barry, Barry, Michael Cooper, Barry. He had three names. Um, (laughs) sorry. I wasn't expecting to talk about him, but his name, he was the hot screenwriter because he had done, um, New Jack City and everybody was talking about him uh but it wasn't in any real definitive way it was like moving product 
You know what I mean? Like, there were people who had... And Chevy Chase was making a terrible movie for them at that point. I can't remember the name of it, but it uh, it was not a hit. And it was costing them tons of money. And it had, like, Chevy Chase and some other big-name stars. I can't, can't remember the name of it. But uh, the way they talked about the bigger stars, it was with reverence. But, like, the other people's just like moving product like he's holding barry michael cooper or whatever his name is sorry was holding money uh so i'm gonna you know i'm gonna deal with him because he's holding right now (laughs) but it wasn't like we're gonna build our company around him he's gonna give us hit after hit you know what i mean so my point is saying all of this to say i don't want a fellowship i don't want to get in a writing program i don't want to be in a production program i have viable projects in every medium and I need a a partner to capitalize these projects and we can you know I'm bringing the content you can bring the money and we can build a media empire together that's what I'm looking for you can keep your little programs and shit you know I'm not a kid I don't want to do that and I know I know plenty of writers. So when they tell me, oh, there's nothing out here. Nobody will go see that. I'm like, that's bullshit. I know plenty of writers with good, new, fresh material that you don't want to fuck with because you're scared or it's it's uh, black people don't do this and black people. I mean, there's the crazy racist shit you hear from all the people out there. I had a black producer tell me my script wasn't black enough because nobody got stabbed in it. I'm like, dude, that's your world. I, I've had plenty of conversations that were arguments that I didn't consider stabbing somebody, you know, like you telling me about you, you're ignorant, not me, you know, my shit's aspirational, you know, so you, they, they all drink the Kool-Aid. I found Los Angeles to be one of the most racist places ever. You know, I told you guys how I was interning at Warner Brothers and the lady saw me walking home one day and this, she had to be about my age now, or probably younger. I can't tell. I was young. I didn't know. I was like 20. And she was like, you you take the bus, you walk. The bus is just for Mexicans. I think she said the bus is for Mexicans and poor people. And I was like, I mean, I was just stunned. I knew that was probably the most racist thing I had heard at that point in my life. But I mean, stay tuned. I kept working and I kept hearing things that were questionable on the lot so yeah I'll say you guys have had a history of racism problems uh Warner Media dude the Warner Media's um CEO acknowledged that Warner Brothers has a or sorry Warner Media has a race problem I'll say (laughs) I'll say you've had it for a while too um and if you really want to change it put us in the put us in the rooms where the business is happening not just people you uh want to pimp out for a few scripts or a few cds or you know let's make three hit records with this dude and then be done with him no put me in business you know i'm a content machine i'm drake you know and kudos to drake he's doing it right but anyway, I'm ranting because this I'm really passionate about this. I think uh, Hollywood always gets off the hook with some old bogus deals that they create. And you may or may not ever hear from these people again. You know, who's the next Shonda Rhimes? 
You know, you love Ryan Murphy. Who's the next Ryan Murphy? Give people a real shot. We out here.